hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Lay Film. I'm one of your many hosts, but right now, speaking is Patrick. And with me are my good friends and co-hosts... Kevin. Tyler. Richie. And today we are talking about a film that I was lucky enough to see in theaters for the uh, Sacramento French Film Festival. And that film is Lost Illusions, if I'm remembering correctly, and is a 2021 film. And uh, so yeah, let's just hop right in. There's an After Dark episode coming. Do we want to even talk about anything we've been doing in our lives? We'll save it for that. You know, I actually recently got some feedback on episodes where we do tend to talk about other stuff before the movie. And, you know, the common consensus is that they, well, the person preferred us just rolling right into it. Just dive in. You know, I, 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 I respect that, you know. I've been told the same. Okay. So just sometimes we just like to warm up and vibe for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's been a, honestly it's been a really long time since we even I can't even remember the last time we've done an episode in person. Uh, when when do you all think that we like last did one? Well, we did that after, after dark one, yeah. but that wasn't oh, even yeah. a true episode. We were like came back from the bars. So yeah, like yeah. three a.m. two a.m. <laughs> <laughs> so like a few months now, I think. And it's been, like, even since our last year. episode, like, before the After Dark one, it's been a few months, probably, or, like, at least, like, one to two. Yes. So, you know what? If you don't like it, well, you know, just keep <laughs> listening, because we'll get to the movie soon. <laughs> and please uh, like all our media and uh, watch all the other episodes. All right, so let's just hop right in. I want to hear everyone's opinions and takes, so who wants to go first in the helm? Well... I'm going to just uh, give a little bit of a synopsis of the movie yes. real quick. Off of Letterboxd, the summary says, Taking place between the years of 1837 and 1843, Balzac's classic novel focuses on the young poet Lucien de Rudin, who leaves Angoulême, <laughs> I'm trying to say it right, but I'm butchering it, uh, for Paris in the pursuit of becoming an author. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll give my initial impressions of this movie. Uh, at first, I viewed it as, oh boy, here we go, another Downton Abbey. Bridgerton. Yeah. <laughs> I, thought, like, I thought the same thing. <laughs> yeah, and like, it, was, it got to be about like 15 minutes into it where I, w- I was like really seriously like questioning it, but all I remembered is that it has the Pat stamp of approval. It's going to turn me on my head, like upside down, all around, you know, bring me right back and back to town. Who knows? <laughs> um, and uh, it, I, to be honest, I was not prepared at all for what this movie had in store. Uh, it, it really exceeded my expectations. It, it yeah, th- those are my initial impressions from it. Yeah, I kind of thought the same thing of like that. I was like, oh, here we go, like a Bridgerton, Downton Abbey. But same thing, I was like, but yo, this has got the Pat, like Pat watched this and approved it. I'm like, I'm ready. And um, yeah, it was just like a very fun, fun ride throughout the film. And tragic and funny, everything. Like it had, it had a little bit of everything in this movie. And it was a really fun ride and... It just puts a lot of things in perspective, too. Makes you feel, like, young again. 
Damn, I'm like saying that like I'm old. Honestly, I've been <laughs> feeling, but I feel old. I've been feeling old myself lately. I don't know. Maybe it's the world at large. Maybe I'm already broken. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> You're ready then. You're at the end of the film. Huh? <laughs> You've got lost illusions, Tyler. <laughs> um, my initial impressions. I didn't know anything about the movie. I just hopped right in. It looked. Like, it seemed like the kind of film that you'd check out, Patrick, and you always have something interesting that you want us to watch. And, um, yeah, I kind of felt like it was a good mixture of movies like Amadeus and, and Wolf of Wall Street, really sleazy, and you're following, like, this character going on this ego mania. And, um, yeah, it had some really entertaining moments, and, um... <laughs> Yeah, I just like the if there are some pretty raw moments and yeah, kind of interesting watch. So Pat, how did you find out about this movie? I saw on a complete coincidence. I just was uh, looking to get out of the house and I saw on one of my day days off there was a uh, there was the grand opening of the Sacramento Film French Film Festival, and uh, so I went to the tower and it was a uh, uh, it was a pretty packed. Uh, there was supposed to be a like video Zoom call with the director, but he just canceled. Or he's like, "Oh, I can't figure out Zoom," so we just didn't have Aww. it. So that sucked. But uh, yeah, there was a good, it was a fun intro, and uh, I was very surprised by the movie. I looked up nothing on it. I was just happy to go out, and uh, yeah, I was uh, very lucky. I wouldn't have picked this if it didn't jump out at me. I'm glad you guys are talking about this pat seal of approval, but in reality it just means I have a neurotic obsession with a uh, bull-headed demon that appears at one point in the film, <laughs> and all my interpretations and conspiracy mindset. But uh, no. So oh, you're basically please. saying it's a it's please. a it's a good date movie, Carry on. Patrick, right? Yes, yes. it was a fan, don't, perfect don't, date movie. It's don't sell yourself movie. short, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I was, yeah, I remember watching it. I was like, oh, it's like it's like about. It's about modern times, very relevant, but it's also about literally us making the podcast. There's a big emphasis on criticisms and critique and authorship and artistic merit and motivation, and uh, as well as the human experience and the, uh, the human drive. And it really resonated with me. I love that Richard brought up Amadeus, because I, uh, I was debating, like, is this better than Amadeus? But Amadeus is like a nostalgic... Amadeus is a masterpiece. Yeah, it's a spot I highly yeah. agree. I've never seen it. It's a good movie. If, if you like this movie, definitely check out Amadeus. There's a lot of great parallels in terms of pursuing passion with like-minded individuals, but also when others see success, you want to bring them down to your own level. That way you have like some sort of like dominance over them. It's kind of a, a strange way of creativity through... Uh, in spite of other, like uh, at others' expense, I should say. Um, but Amadeus is a is a phenomenal film, and I feel like you would love, yeah. especially since you've been learning piano recently, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'll check that out. No, yeah, and then uh, I again with Amadeus, like this film's like two and a half hours, mm. and it feels it. Amadeus is equally as long. I want to say it feels like you do. It not feels feel like a it. tight hour-long movie yeah like, what the hell where's all this time gone i i like going off of what you're saying pat i felt 
the you know every minute of this film you know every two and a half like for the two and a half hours there were many times where I literally just had to take a break from it because it was just too much for me uh, it, it got very heavy and I I mean they have such a great way of um, you know planting seeds in the very beginning you know it's very straightforward that's like the biggest takeaway that I had from this film is that it's very straightforward with what it's trying to tell you from the very get-go. It doesn't try to pull any tricks on you. It lets you know where you're going. But, <laughs> oh my god, it's is great. it painful? Yeah. It's painful getting there. <laughs> yeah, so a certain character mentions they have a certain illness. And he's like, oh, okay, that's going to be a part of the climax. Mm-hmm. And Richie even mentioned it like before the podcast. Uh, the the quote unquote villain of the story uh, through the voiceover it's it's told to you oh this is the beginning of this person's downfall and <laughs> I lo- I personally like I mean it's come up before uh, on the podcast like who knows how many episodes about the uh, notion of spoilers uh, to me I personally don't mind spoilers because even when I do know you know the big twist or where the story is going during the duration of you know viewing it or like engaging with the story there are so many points in time where i'm like no there's no way they're gonna like get to this point or how how are they gonna like connect all these dots to form this bigger picture um and at times it it, it's enhanced certain stories for me knowing the spoilers well in advance so i really appreciated that aspect of this movie yes and then another aspect that really drew me to the movie in reflection upon watching it was it was set in the uh, like you said the early 1800s France and I've been uh, consuming other media that's uh, breaking down how the the film has direct parallels like they even use fake news which I thought was a bit too much at one point I was like I kind of see it's fake news you don't need to say like that term I'm not sure how old that term is but yeah I was like yeah it's set in like the premise or the, the primordial ooze of what we live under now and live in now. And like, yeah, this is France during its spell of great leaders and great revolutions and post-Napoleon. But still, they're still royalists. They're still drawing up some constitutions every now and then. There's still a revolt every now and then and a rebellion. And uh, yeah, this is like the groundwork for the Germanic, industrialized, fascist death drive machine that spearheaded and slingshotted the u.s empire into the forefront so yeah it's yeah it's like a it's like a great grandfather of the current times we live in and that's why it seems to have some of the uh same genes and i like that part of the movie i i personally love whenever we come across like movies that i mean one could one could argue that all the movies we watch can be applied to like our current you know uh, I guess our yeah our current times like our current predicament whatever however you want to call it uh, this one like really resonated with me though in that regard because and it <laughs> it was also very defeating watching it too because you know it's it's like how you often hear about history being written by the victors of like certain events and you know everything else kind of gets buried over and. It's just, it's just a bit of a shame that, you know, as powerful as truth can be, it is still malleable to those who are in power. 
and when it when it comes to you know the people in charge of the uh, what was it called the um, the uh, like Satan. Le Corsair oh, yeah. Satan yeah. like you know after the merger you know it's like oh two conglomerates coming into one now oh they're even more they're twice as powerful hey two two free presses together is twice the freedom man <laughs> <laughs> but, but I don't know it, it's I like the um, like another movie that we like talked about like kind of similar to this was La Haine which was like one of our really early episodes like I think it was like episode two or something mm-hmm. but I I love when we can like somehow synchronize certain films with uh, current events, um, it makes me feel less insane uh, being able to talk it out with all of you. And like you know, you know they say a lone or misery loves company. <laughs> and I don't know. I I feel like that's the only way to process these kinds of like uh, complexities is with other people because you know it's like humans are you know, we're we're supposed to be communal uh, i feel like anything else out of that like if you become a hermit you just become like so desensitized to the world at large that you know when you do finally uh find yourself reintroduced to society you're just it's just too much and i don't know i think that this is all just a part of the process mm-hmm. and then uh I do want to give some quick, because I did research a little bit, historical context, because it's based on a novel by Balzac. And it's actually a trilogy, I want to say. So this is like a combination of, I think, the first two books. I think in the third book, he returns to Paris as a member of the revolutionary ensemble. Is that or Nathan does? It's hard to say for sure. But yeah. So yeah, just to help place it as like... It's a historical piece but it's not it's like Amadeus where it's it's a fictional historical piece it's not literally based on anyone directly but more of a novel and uh it's a long movie so do you guys want to give your rankings and then maybe a favorite part or something because I don't think we'll cover every twist and turn that happens yeah you guys want me to go first Sure. So I can change my grade after. (laughs) (laughs) It's all on you, Tyler. Uh, I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5. Um, hmm. I can't think of a favorite part, but like, I just want to say from like the section of when Lucian like finally like just like breaks like gets his foot in the door and like breaks into like the industry from like that point that middle section to where it gets like that last third uh was just so fun like that's when like the movie just it didn't feel like a two and a half hour movie to me and then that really speed speeds it up yeah it was just like like it never even like stopped to like let you like sit in it it was just yeah like richie you mentioned earlier it kind of did remind me of like gave me like wolf of wall street Vibes that time, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed this movie. This was, uh, I'm excited to talk more about it. Yeah, I feel like I'm still sitting with the movie. Yeah, I, I literally just finished it like a few hours ago. I finished it like literally 40 minutes ago. <laughs> and this movie, it, it it's like one of those ones that, it's. 
it, it's it feels like a it feels so quick and frenetic in a way although it's 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 kind of like a slow burn when it comes to like mulling it over because so much stuff happens and for me i'm gonna give it the same ranking tyler i'm gonna give it a 4.5 out of 5 with wiggle room yes for <laughs> sure because i feel like there's still so much left to process because just so much stuff was like thrown at me um for one of my favorite parts uh it's when lucien uh you know at first i found the the narration i feel like it's been kind of like i've been made more aware of the tool of using a voiceover in movies and i'm I find myself even being self-aware of that when it comes to like making stuff like it it makes me paranoid about it like oh am I just relying on like voiceover in this story to like get my point across or something like that and it's like no this movie does this really well um but uh it's the point where Lucien is being um kind of like crowd surfing and then it shows like the gold like flakes like falling over him and he's just sort of like basking in this like oh and he's like moment. smoking the cigar yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah that's that uh, me and pat were talking about that one a nice detail is in that scene there's key items yeah traded back and forth they pass like the marguerites through right and like like there's a the the journal by nathan or the book the, the one he has to review like still wrapped up like it was in that scene and then the certain like paper money given to someone mm -hmm. and all that so you see key items back it's and almost forth. like everything yeah that like helped him make it to where he is to where he was at that point the um one of the one of my favorite motifs throughout the movie was the use of the black goat i feel like there's a specific name for that type of figure in a sort of like christianity or something like that or uh i, I feel like found throughout a lot of a uh, religion um I know it definitely comes up in Berserk. Uh, <laughs> I was born in the year of the goat. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, boy. Trying to imply something here? <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it the Sin Eater? Is it? Yeah, when... I, I forget what... But uh, The Witch yeah. with Robert Eggers, it, it's uh, Black... Uh, black Philip. Yeah, Black Philip. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't... I'm pretty certain that that's not the name for the actual, like, uh, motif. However... I am a huge fan of that when applied correctly, uh, because to me this movie was just pure... It was Lucian's descent into hedonism and excess and just pleasure over pain and, you know, at all costs. And I found this movie to be very, like I said earlier, painful to go through at times, because you're literally told to root for the specific character i mean you start off with them wanting to you know publish this book of poems for like a significant other however it's sort of a unrequited love and uh, the character herself she's just so ingrained in this desire for status that lucian's just chasing and chasing and chasing to the point where He's just eating himself alive in a way, and I don't know, when it got to be a lot of the darker moments, like I said, I had to like turn it off and take a break, because it just got to be like too overwhelming, especially for like a lot of the, uh, or for Corley? Yeah. Yeah, for Corley. Uh, his, his, uh, love, 
who he does not deserve. <laughs> I'm gonna like, go on record, and um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm really excited to like talk more about this movie because you know Amadeus was was brought up, and I I also felt like there was a lot of Do- uh, Dostoevsky uh, uh, sensibilities brought into this too, of like a Christ-like figure just being eaten alive by modern society. Um, and then also, uh, having sort of a, an audience or having Lucian be sort of the vessel for like the everyday audience member of just being cast into this, this, uh, whirlwind of cacophony and like, of just chaos really, but also basking in it as much as you possibly can. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie. It's my turn. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I feel like I might be in the minority on this one. Um, you guys mentioned the uh, film's runtime, and I really felt like uh, in the beginning, it was kind of hard to get through. Like it was really just introducing like uh, Lucian and like his current relationships before he ponders off into this new career path and um I mean kind of right off the bat you you knew that this character was pretty um uh, despicable and so I don't know I didn't I didn't really feel bad for this character or connect with him in any way uh yeah you guys had mentioned like Coralie's character that gets involved with him definitely um one of the better characters that doesn't get what they want in the end <laughs> kind of spoilers um but i guess i don't know i didn't really uh i really like the middle section of the film when he starts to uh get into his um the journalistic side and how that gets manipulated that was a really entertaining portion of it but i felt like the beginning and then maybe towards the end like i didn't really care anymore about his fate or like i don't know yeah, the film does this thing where, like, these two s- certain characters are already connected and there's this heated passion, and it's just like, okay, but why do I care about that? Or, like, I don't know. I have a lot more to talk about later, but, um, yeah. Just parts where it has to do with, like, this character and his name, and, like, but I don't really know Lucian. Like, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I'll give this film a, a 2.5. I felt like some of the performances were pretty good. I think my favorite character is Lucent's um, friend who works at the Independent Press for his name. Um, was it Nathan? No, no not oh, Nathan. No, no, it was uh, uh, the one who brings him into the fold, right? Yeah. Lusteau? Lusteau, yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought um, his character was my favorite to follow. And um, yeah, they had definitely, I felt like that role could have been more. Like, I would have loved to see more of that side. Because some of the other stuff is just like, ah, I don't, why would I care about this? And, like, even in the big, tw- like, a twist or whatever, and when things fall apart, it's just like, okay, but then, like, I don't know. I felt like I didn't really get enough. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can see that for sure with his character. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, it was really entertaining. I like all the other sleazy stuff that's going on. It was really, I like that portion, but... um. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of it, yeah, toward the end reminded me of Amadeus, and I'm like, it just reminded me to watch Amadeus, because I felt like it was a, <laughs> honestly, way, like, superior 
um, in terms of how they, like the egomaniac and his downfall, but like actually root for um, Wolfgang in that film. And like, I feel really bad, but in this film, it's just like, I don't know. I didn't really feel for some, I don't know. I didn't really feel for Lucien for some reason. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm gonna give at most a four out of five. And Richard brought up a thing that really hurt my rating of the film. And it's not Amadeus. It's yeah. literally not Amadeus. But I can't help but compare it to Amadeus, which is unfair, but it, it's how it is. <laughs> and then I do agree with Richie's point, especially with the start. It kind of is a slow burn. And at certain parts early on, the narration was uh, overbearing for me personally. I was like, ah, like, there's certain scenes where it just goes, which it's necessary. I was fully aware while it was happening. It's given us context, especially historically, when they're talking about the, the, the role newspapers and the free press play, as well as how corrupt they are, and then even the great moments, like uh, a character's brought onto the royalist press, which is in favor of the monarchy, and the guy, a character's given a speech about how they're going to pursue pure journalism and unbiased and all this other stuff. And the narrator like caps off that scene. We never return to those characters, but he caps it off like, oh yeah, they were quickly found out to be corrupt and taken bribes, just like the free press earlier that he introduced and how corrupt they were. It's like, oh yeah, they were also corrupt as hell. Like, yeah, the narration's very valuable there, but there's certain parts where it's like, oh, I, I, I maybe could have put this together, but I do appreciate the narration, but it's just, there's one scene in particular where it's like, it felt like four minutes of narration. And I was like, oh, I just want to see more of the movie. But aside from that, I still love the movie. Uh, I really enjoyed the uh, my, the reads you can take into it about the uh, the, the pursuit of art. The uh, and I'm looking forward to our discussions of likable characters and who's meant to be likable. Because I'm. It made me think of like Marvel movies and how like. It, it almost kind of reaffirmed my suspicion of like, reviewers like just giving positive reviews to, to this like huge conglomerate Disney Marvel so like a lot of their movies when they come out they're like oh my god it's even higher than the one before and like you know phase four like oh my gosh 95% on the Rotten Tomato meter like 12 years straight like we've never had a bad movie it's just like it kind of reminded me of that I was like dude when I listen to reviewers talk about Marvel movies I'm like really you guys act like they're like modern day Jaws or like, you know, all these original content and um, I can go on about that, but um, I'm looking forward to getting into that. It's a big part yeah. of the movie. I love, uh, yeah, there's a certain character whose acting career blows up, you know, we've only seen her be flat and not charismatic or whatever. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. And then, uh, oh, well, um, I was just going to say like, you know, now that, you know, here, especially like after hearing, um, what both you and Richie were talking about, like, with uh, a lot of the critiques of it, like, it, it definitely resonates with me, too, as well, because, you know, like I was saying with the voiceover, it, it felt like it was kind of leaning a bit too much on it, um, and there were a lot of portions, like, where it's like, okay, Lucian's kind of like a bastard, like, you aren't supposed to like this person, um, but I think that the saving grace for me is literally in those ideas that it proposes to you in its unique perspective, of you know showing the pursuit of art you know versus success and also you know uh it, it especially just the little glimpses into the the world at this time you know the lengths that they go to to make sure that like 
uh, you know, at the last second, oh, this person gets paid a little bit more from this side, so what do they do? They change the narrative and they make it one of the greatest spectacles, uh, you know, everybody has got to see, you know, in its runtime. Uh, and even like the invention of like the clap clapping machine mm -hmm. and just all these like little strange things that are invented to give uh, you know the the critique or the I guess the critic you know the power to deem whether something is worthy of life or not it's sort of like playing God in the role of art and entertainment and that's what we do <laughs> I know, and it's, it, it's weird. This is, yeah, this is literally, it's it's a meta... There's a scene that's literally us. Yeah, it's a, it's a meta commentary, and that's literally what we're doing. Like you all said, it's what we're doing right now. Which, we're in a dream. <laughs> yeah, it's, dream it's, it's like, okay, yeah, it's a simulation. <laughs> so, I don't know, it, it sort of uh, reframed a lot of... Uh, or I guess it provided me a different perspective on like my current worldview, which is why I put so much value into this movie itself and I feel like as long as you're made aware of this sort of stuff then I don't know I just feel like there's so much importance when it comes to vigilance um, because the second that you sort of like let your guard down down to that stuff then you sort of lose the the original motivation of pursuing this stuff to begin with um, you know, for instance, like, let's say that we got, like, sponsorships and, like, advertisements and, like, all this stuff, and it's like, oh, wait, we gotta take a break. By the way, did you know that we're, we're, like, sponsored by this, uh, this mug company that we're, like, drinking water out of? Do you so, know that Thor 6 got another 90% review? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, join us, you know, get 10% off of your next, like, uh, you know, film ticket or whatever. Um, I don't know, because... To me, like, my original intention with, like, going into this podcast with you all is that I am of the belief that art should be free and accessible to every single living individual on Earth and, like, wherever galaxy you're from, if you're listening to this. Just because it's something that comes from a human, you should be able to take it as well. Or you should be able to do with it what you will the second it's put out there. And... Uh, so you know, like that scene in Superbad when he drew those pictures. Yeah, I mean, that person stole them and showed them to everybody. <laughs> That's art, huh? Yeah, it, I you mean, honestly, like, some of those were drawn good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I don't know, like, I, I I think that it's just important to remember the the intention and if it's for a good. I mean, if it if it has some sort of meaning to you. Uh, that's all that really matters. As long as it's not hurting other people in the process, like what this movie definitely shows, um, especially like there's a certain like portion of like the midpoint. Um, Spoiler territory. Right? Uh, I, I, gotta, I was gonna wrap up real quick. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Go for a pet. Uh, favorite moments. Uh, and then back to my thing about the narrator overstaying is welcome. It is all saved. Although I still have the same, like, oh, it's kind of overstays, but on the second viewing, I was like, ah, oh, now that I was spoiled on who the narrator is, which I won't say now, that's to me that's the twist for the movie, yeah. and then it helps elevate it to a four, and then I would cheat and give a second little favorite part, and that's just the intro with the music. You have like music like that playing right at the start on like a black screen or the logo first coming in. I'm set. I knew Those it. Violins. I knew it. Kubrick-esque. Yeah. Kubrick-esque. I was like, you okay. Put a violin or a piano <laughs> in at the start. I'm like, this is checking all the boxes for Pat probably in you, terms of like score. You had a nice like field of like. <laughs> just a big hook of the strings just going and then 
Yeah, nature. I'm in. Nathan thing I don't know how I feel about it I feel like I was kind of neutral on finding out that he was the narrator he was the one who is behind the story spoiler yeah we're on spoilers spoiler <laughs> that's a spoiler it's alright though it's out there now um, I feel like we just cut it beforehand yeah <laughs> I'll put the music in right there yeah it's just like I don't know I feel like Lucian really fucked that guy over and it's just like so, like, why did you stick up for this asshole who's, like, kind of fucked over everybody else? Because they're brothers in, the in a trade. They're brothers <laughs> in art. <laughs> it reminds me of Grand Budapest Hotel. He's like, we shared a profession. It was a great bond they had. They wanted to make art and be artists. But one of them had the talent and gifts and status. And I'm not sure Lucian did. Is what my takeaway was, at least. Yeah, I mean, that hair, man. That was pretty cringe. <laughs> the style, dude. I thought, for me, it was the mascara. What, are you trying to say out. something right now, Richie? <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, nobody at that party liked his hair. Can you say something to me, Pat? <laughs> are you, yeah, are you, are you commenting on my blouse? What's wrong with my blouse? <laughs> it gives off uh, Zazem pronouns. And I, you're making me question them now. No, I'm trying to be a pirate. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to feel about... Now that you guys are... Like, I don't know how to feel about certain characters. Like, cause for me, like, I've, like... Richie, you said you thought Lucian was, like, despicable. I'm like, I don't know. I don't think he's despicable. I feel like... I feel like he got, like, brainwashed by the, by the system. He's just another cog in the no. wheel. He sold. Okay. Well, he I sold mean, out, but, like... How do you we, how do you find success without selling out at a time? You know, like you have to be. A, it's almost like I'm not saying everyone should sell out, <laughs> but like you almost have to sell a little bit, right? To it, like his story starts get off a life you want right off the bat with an affair, and then seeing him kind of get owned at his workplace, and I was like, I felt pretty good in that moment. I'm like, hell yeah, that guy deserves a splash ink in his face. Yeah, but that was different. See, like, I feel like, because that, you're like. That was like the start, though. That was like the beginning of me seeing this guy being a douche. And I'm like, oh, you're just going to be an even bigger douche. He was just in love with the chick. The chick was was married. If anything, (laughs) it's her. She's the fucked up one. That's the beauty. You can spin anyway. Because, yeah, she was. She was a, a if anything, that was like the purest time. That was the time he was the most pure. It was a court marriage. He was like 40 years <laughs> Yeah, he, she, he was like 80 years old with like a hot ass, like 35 year old woman. Yeah, but I didn't even see, I didn't see the chemistry there. Like, I felt like th- this movie just said, just established, okay, these two are a couple, but what? Because he wrote really great poems. Like, I didn't really see the, the fire between them and how that's supposed to affect like his downfall, I guess. Um, I do want to touch on that. I like that. Well, it's what we're watching with Tyler, especially the end. The fire's there at the end for them. Yeah, She's with that ballsy shot. If you yeah, know what I'm talking too, about yeah. with the money and that ballsy but, uh, <laughs> sequence. <laughs> but the most we see him into it in their interaction is carnally. And there's a, there's a looming payout being held over a character's head. 
And it's kind of like subverting it where it's the female participant paying for sex with the male participant. And it's, it takes like the intro, it takes the intro purity of like, oh, he, he's writing me poems. We're gonna go kiss in the grass and whatever stuff. And then they're in Paris and she's like, oh, here's a stack of money. You were fucking broke. Here's, yeah, I know you're going through it. And then he's here's like- two G's, now fuck me. He's like contemplating it and then she, like, she grabs his cheek and like brushes it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I viewed Lucian as sort of like uh, the fool archetype in this movie. Um, and with, I mean, in, in terms of like tarot and stuff, like the, the fool card can be placed in in any portion of the, of the, of the journey itself um, because it's just a continuous cycle of uh, life, death, and rebirth and everything like that. And for Lucian, I viewed him as basically being subjected to various influences but not having a strong enough will to overcome them or see the forest from the trees if that makes sense um especially with louise's character louise viewed it was it was a very uh distanced relationship that they had although it was uh purely physical i mean it wasn't no it wasn't purely physical but it, physicality played a large role in their relationship or fling or what what have you. However, I believe that Louise, this could just be me projecting onto the character as well, is that uh, Louise had a sort of fascination with the with the notion of love that was being directed at her, but did not want to fully accept it all from Lucien. Had it been from like another person, uh, somebody that she truly desired and wanted to pine after and everything it could have been an entirely different story but the fact of the matter is is that uh, Louise chose status over a, a core relationship that was ripe for the picking for her she could have easily dissolved the marriage that she had uh, at the very beginning of the story if she wanted it to go that way. I can absolutely guarantee you that, uh, uh, what's her name, uh, Coralie, had it been Coralie at the beginning instead of Louise, she would have tossed away that relationship at the beginning because Coralie, and there's a common, uh, there's a common uh, saying that's related to Coralie is that when she makes love she gives every single part of herself and when she performs on stage, she also gives every aspect of herself because if she doesn't, what's the point? And that's a clear and stark difference between her character and Louise's character, Lu Lucian's character, Nathan, like every single character down the list. It's like you're either 100% authentic or you're not. Um, because what's the point of even trying to hold on to authenticity if you're just gonna sell it away at the, you know, at the, at the highest buyer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, who's the one character who dies? And, uh, and then Lucien is like, he's literally us. He's, he has inherent contradictions that we all uh, participate in and accept on a daily level. But we, we escape into art and, uh, pursuit of art or we think we do and all this other stuff and I do appreciate he brings that up <laughs> but yeah uh, I wish I was a Coralie but I'm not probably I'm probably a Lucian or someone worse probably in the <laughs> film <laughs> <laughs>
maybe Countess. I forget her name. Louise's sister. Yeah, I like the scene where that sugar daddy came over and she was trying to convince him that she was auditioning for this other role because of the boots. Lucian's boots. That was like, one of my favorite scenes. I like that part. Um, she played it off really well. But like, I like how the movie is saying, like, this woman of this time can play these a dual role and, you know, she wouldn't be discriminated for it or anything. Um, I like that she was able to, like, live her life freely and get support, whatever she needed. And, um, yeah, she was one of the stronger characters, I felt like, in the, in the movie. Um, yeah. And I thought Louis, for what little I felt like she had to do with the plot or just being the sister, like, the shadow of, like, her sister... Um, yeah, that's all I really felt about that aspect. And, uh, mm-hmm. well, she's, she's been reduced to that by her status. Yeah. She can't pursue love. And Coralie can't be a full person because she has, she's lacking status. She can't, yeah. Sad stuff. He did have that, uh, Lucian, he had that, like, one of the greatest pickup lines of all time. In the only Miller like write an article oh, a review. Well, he said he's like she had scarlet stockings and a face first love or face of first love. I was like, damn, you got her. Wow. <laughs> he pulled. It. So you can write, you can write, you can write that stuff pretty good. But can you write a whole book? <laughs> he's an article guy. Yeah, and then he gave like a fake critique of. Um, Nathan's book. That's us. <laughs> Is that us, Patrick? I love that are part. That's like, us. Are you saying yeah. something here? Yeah, he's me, dude. If anything, remember, I always like change my review. He gave him a scathing <laughs> review, and then he gave him like a five out of five after. No, but that scene, like any review or critique, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a abstract truth. It's just perception and manipulation of perception. It's yeah, like. You know, does, is it vivid detail or is it over-explaining? Is it, a, is it thrilling or is it overbearing and too plot or too, too dramatic and all that stuff? You know what's another interesting aspect of criticism too is time. Because let's say that, you know, you happen to view something or engage with something at the wrong time of, in your life. It could be entirely different from, you know, viewing it a week from today or a month from today or a year or what have you. And because there are there are many times where I say things in the moment, however, it's just so filled with contradiction that it just completely escapes me. And then, you know, afterwards, I'm thinking, like, why did I say that? Like, did I really mean that? Or I don't know. But that's that's sort of like the beauty of of criticism. It's it's not to take somebody's word, uh, you know, entirely. It's, it's that, you know, that cliche of taking everything, like, with a grain of salt. Because it's like, you're your own person, you know, you, you recognize how everybody... I mean, it's important to recognize how easily we shift in, you know, certain conditions, in certain periods of our lives, with certain emotions. We are entirely fluid in that aspect. And criticism is just as subject to it as we are. Someone who cries at the new Thor movie. They may genuinely mean those tears. And it's a, it's a, I like the joke and say, well, I'm, I have a greater authority. 
I legally have a degree, so therefore the cops will back me up. But no, it's, it's perceptions. <laughs> and it doesn't really mean anything if you enjoy it so much. Just yeah. the beauty of art. You wrote an essay on Thor 13. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Electric Bigaloo. <laughs> uh, what else really hopped out? I love the uh, vile... I love the uh, vile takedown of modern media culture. That was fun. And uh, the Eyes Wide Shut recreation scene. I was like, oh, that's cool. That's, that's, yeah, the main character goes to a room where a guy's playing pool and he gives him the breakdown of how it's going to go down. I'm like, oh, look, this is cool. It's like a little homage or pastiche. Uh, did any of that middle area jump out at you guys? I loved, I just loved like all the scenes at the, um, gosh, what was the newspaper called again? Le, Le Corsair? Le Corsair Satan, Satan. Um, <laughs> like just, yeah, like the Wolf of Wall Street vibes, like. Oh, uh, the stuff running around. Yeah, they're the just animals, like the, the ducks, ducks, the yeah. monkey, <laughs> like just being full on degenerates. I'm like, like what you were talking about, or someone said it was like, like playing God basically. And they're literally just, they have the monkey like picking which book they're going to give a scathing review and which one they're going to give a great review to. Like, that's literally our... I feel like that could be our world today. And it's pretty fucked up, dude. Like, it's so fucked up because I don't even... I don't trust anything. Yeah. It's fucked up we're not I don't trust... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I don't know where to get... You're not smoking <laughs> enough weed, Patrick. <laughs> or know. any info that I intake, I'm like, all right, well, I still got to be, like, cognizant of, like, this can totally not be true mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's i mean side note i've been listening to a lot of old prog rock lately like uh king crimson mm-hmm. yes and like a bunch of other people um but you know with king crimson's first debut album in the court of the crimson king their like opening song 21st century schizoid man like it deals with like the concepts of like of course like schizophrenia and paranoia in like this modern day and age and this album was like created in like the early '70s, and it like paved the way for like every, like every single album in terms of like rock and progression like ever since. And especially with uh with those types of themes, like it, it's more prevalent now than ever with how much access to information we have and how easily things can be like you know fudged and like forged over, especially like. You know, it, it come the one thing that comes to mind is like deep fakes now. Uh, you know, with like even with the the latest like Obi Wan yeah. and like uh, other no not Obi Wan but like a lot of the Star Wars stuff. Did you see the uh, the like Kendrick Lamar came out with a video? Uh, I forget the name of it, but like he they imposed like superimposed like Kobe Bryant's face on him. Really? Like Nipsey Hussle, like all these like famous famous people and it's like it looks dead on like them but like with like still Kendrick's hair and like the outfit that he's wearing it's it's very uncanny like I feel like we're transitioning into an age of like uncanniness where it's gonna be even more like it's gonna stir up this feeling within the the consciousness of is this real or is this like fantasy is this you know is this has this been tampered with in a way and it's just going to make everyone... I, I feel like I, I personally feel the effects of it already in, like, in my day-to-day existence of just paranoia and schizophrenia 
and like feeling like there's some sort of like force at large that's just changing the narrative however they see fit especially with like um, and that's why like so many like conspiracy theories have like always like run rampant throughout the ages is because it's 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 tied inherently with the paranoia that comes with uh, you know power you know it, it's it's sort of like a consequence or a um, or a result of people exuding their power and influence on the world at, on the world basically and it's terrifying um, and that's just what made like this movie like how it focused on that aspect with uh, Le Corsair Satan uh, like how they're just you know especially like you all brought up like you know they're, they're having the monkey pick which book which book they're gonna review even though none of them you know in a group of like 50 people or probably even more will never even open the book they'll just like because you could apply any sort of like criticism onto that stuff you know oh where's the mystery oh you know like uh some things should are best left to the imagination you could literally say that about anything or like that scene where um uh lusto and lucian are like he's trying to he's like i can't write a bad review about this and then he's like well if it's like good just or like something say it's proficient or if it's um like he's just thinking of like different terms to like well if you like it then call it this way to so it's then it'll sound shitty or whatever and it's like they already had like they already had like an algorithm of how to write a review whether it's good or bad in like the 1800s now we're in 2022 with supercomputers. like could you you can't even imagine like the algorithms and formulas they have now yeah it's like a insincere look at reality and how like if you pick up a phone or you pick up a pen the moment you start recording it's you are essentially creating your own reality and um you know are you trying to convince people that your reality is like the true thing to look at just true perspective or like you know it's just another mirror into you know how just how another person thinks yeah, it, you know what that reminds me of is, um, uh, what's the, it's the movie by Satoshi Kon, uh, Perfect Blue. Mm. Um, I feel like that's going to be a movie that we eventually I think discuss. I almost, that's, is that a anime? Yeah, it's yeah a, okay. It's yeah. an anime from the 90s about, um, celebrity and, uh, paraso- parasympathetic, uh, relationships. Parasocial? Parasocial, yeah, that's the word, parasocial uh, sympathetic relationships where it's um, basically the relationship that's built up between an audience and a persona and sort of the person embodying the persona is void or is devoid of the persona itself because it takes on an entirely life of its own and this was at the very turn of the millennium when you know internet I mean when the internet and like online culture was you know on the on the up and coming and you have this pop star who uh, is part of a trio, but then ends up getting a stalker throughout it. And, you know, online forums are a thing at the time, and she ends, the, the celebrity in question ends up seeing this online persona take on a life on these forums as, you know, a, a fake version of herself. And it's really disturbing how much that concept has been allowed to flourish and sort of uh, take shape in our own day and age. Uh, and 
I don't know, it's it's ter it's terrifying to me, but it, it also reminds me about like how um, there are groups now that are dedicated to developing a lot of uh, branches or offshoots in, in relation to cybersecurity and being able to develop their own AI to detect deep fakes, to detect um, when information has been tampered with. Uh, and my only hope is that transparency is going to become the norm, um, because without transparency, it, anxiety and paranoia will always be with us, you know, because it's just burying the truth over. Yeah, I feel like a, a lot of this movie reminded me of um, modern NBA journalism. Just because I listen to a lot of, um, I'm a huge NBA fan. I don't know, Tyler, you you are too. Uh, I like I like to listen to a lot of like Sacramento media because I'm a Sacramento Kings fan, but also from NBA players' perspectives and stuff. And this whole talk about new media and how the NBA players can create their own podcasts now because um, the NBA media can't create their own narrative about these players. These players can create their own narratives now, and um, yeah. Lucian's character reminds me of sometimes uh, this really famous one. Um, I don't know if you guys ever heard of Skip Bayless. He's like really well-renowned like NBA sh uh, show host and analyst and it's like hot takes. Yeah, he hot takes all the time. But like, I mean, controvert. He's just controversial. Controversy sells. Yeah. Just so say he talks about say LeBron like basically every week for no reason but like LeBron's like the number one guy in the NBA like everybody knows who LeBron like LeBron is even if you don't watch the NBA like you know who he is isn't that you know? crazy dude though like controversy really does sell like I have just like I didn't follow this at all but like the whole like Johnny Depp thing like I'm just uh, like that just kept popping up like I kept seeing it all the time I'm like now that like if that just hit me I'm like damn like that really does like that was just huge. Like, everybody was just eating that shit up just because Johnny Depp was on trial. I mean, whatever. <laughs> I guess there was a few, like, funny moments in the trial and stuff, but... But that's all like, online. really? That's what we're consuming that. right now? You can watch all of that online, and you can create your own narrative from the whole trial but, and pick a side. But why? Like, why are we even involved in that? Well, it's it's because of, like, the notion of a celebrity-dom and, like, fandom and being able to, like have some sort of vessel to project your own desire onto uh to you know because it's like when we view this trial of johnny depp versus like amber heard we're like viewing we're, we're projecting like some semblance of our own identity onto these figures we're like looking for like certain traits and characteristics to like latch onto because if we feel that like we can root for some person rather than another and if they end up becoming victorious through it all, it'll add some additional meaning or some sort of reassurance in our own life. And to me, that's very dangerous to do. Um, it's like a zero-sum game. Like, there's only can only be one winner and one loser, and there's no gray area. Exactly, and and that's sort of... I don't know, it, it, that's a big fear of mine moving forward in life, is that, especially, like, you know, with... The, the political atmosphere that we have right now is just creating a lot of there, there's just uh, there's so much tribalism and uh, for, unfortunately that's 
that's sort of become the norm. It's it's sort of been a part of us since the dawn of like humanity. It's it's always like us versus them. There's always got to be an enemy. However, uh, the concept of like good and evil has been like sort of like a modern phenomenon in a way, uh, especially in terms of like morality. But as as we move forward, the the dynamic range between white and black thinking, you know, with several form, several degrees of uh, gradation, it's sort of becoming more and more skewed as we progress forward, which is very troubling for me, because it doesn't leave any sort of room for a, uh, for sort of a relaxed uh, discussion, because to me, like this type of discussion. I, you know, one could argue that, you know, we are, in a way, playing the, the role of God in terms of, like, what should be paid attention to versus what should be, you know, glossed over. Um, but, you know, in this type of discussion, we aren't saying, oh, no, um, uh, Pat's right for giving his rating, Richie's right for giving his rating, you know, Tyler's right, I'm right, whatever. Uh, it's not that. We, like, respect each other's opinions. And we're it's not that we're being tolerant of it it's we're being mindful of another person's perspective because we're all on the same page when it comes to it we've engaged with this thing and we just want to talk and share ideas um we're all coming at it from the same angle and i feel like that's where a lot of people get in trouble with their with uh, like following certain sense of sets of ideologies and um like uh like zealotry almost uh where they are so staunch in their beliefs that anything outside of their worldview they automatically cast to the side or they try to make it fit inside of their own uh, ideological puzzle without actually looking at their own puzzle and be like oh is this the right is this the right image that i want to you know build my life around or what and I don't know. It's. I just want to hear like your your all perspective on it. What's my uh? Let's hear. Yeah. I think I'm just grim. I think I'm a grim outlook on it. I it, I give us the benefit of the doubt because I'm I'm a part of the us and my uh, the us is also my friends. But I think this whole, it's an evolution of uh, going back to the film's historical weight. It's an evolution of the, uh, the driving factors of a collective society of like, uh, especially in the US at least, there's like, there's concepts of freedom, which equated to like land ownership, uh, in cases even literal slavery ownership for beneficial profits. And then post-World War II was turned into uh, home ownership for certain approved ethnic groups, which is the majority groups, which was white Americans. In 70s, 60s, 80s, it kind of spread out more to general home ownership for those who were left out of that first wave of home ownership. And then we grew up in the time where that home ownership was shifted to a good job as a result of a college degree. And I think the Zoomer generation and on, uh, they're not even going to get college. They're going to get uh, what we do. Scraps. 
not the scraps, but like their 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 lesser thing they're sold to aspire to be is going to be uh, a content creator. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's where they get a lot of their knowledge and a lot influencer. of their wisdom. Yeah, their 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 cybernetic self and consciousness will like become social, the overriding. One. Social media influencer is social media educator. Yes. Pat, this this do you remember, well, uh, I sort of talked to Pat a little bit about this on the Twin Peaks podcast that we do. Um, I had been watching a video by this creator named uh, Ali Sunvia on YouTube about the uh, the differences between humor and generations. Uh, they talk. I mean, the person talked a little bit about uh, boomers, Gen X, uh, you know, millennials as well as Zoomers. And there was an interesting point that was brought up uh, where they were talking about the forms of like irony and humor and how with millennials we tend to embody it, embody it a lot more uh, since post 9-11, you know, with having so many grim uh, catastrophes happen throughout our lifetime and also the realization of, you know, the death of the American dream, which has been, it's been embalmed <laughs> long before we were born. Um, and... Uh, they basically said that a lot of the difference lie in the fact that with the millennials, they have had a glimpse of what life could be before things got grim, very grim. Whereas uh, Zoomers or Gen Z have been born into the age of the internet and it's sort of all they've ever known along with all of these, you know, with the complete access to all the information that comes in line with with the internet and everything like that and it sort of makes sense um, how it could be that the next American dream that is sold is that of the influencer culture of uh, you know selling a personality online um, one one other detail that they shared was that with uh, Millennials they tend to separate identities of online persona versus a physical persona which i know i definitely do i tend to i try not to share too much of my personal life on online because i have had a sense of what it's like to actually share myself with people you know in person before the age of the internet whereas uh with gen z they're more likely to view themselves as this persona they give it their all and i'm not saying that one is right compared to the other it's just uh it's just a difference that's all and that's okay but it's a very strange phenomenon that's being sold especially with the age of tiktok which you know social media is just all these platforms are just Dude, so it's dangerous. crazy Let's just say, I'll go on the record and say it is wrong <laughs> i have i have i'm with pat like i have the grim outlook like so bad or not bad but like i i still have hope but like even like hanging out with certain homies like sh uh, shout out elijah my cousin if he listens he's not gonna listen to this pod because he literally doesn't have the capacity to sit down and listen to this pod i'm sure he'll uh he'll get that transmission <laughs> if he actually calls me out on saying this i'll give him the most props ever but like or just like and i still love him so much but like we'll be hanging out sometimes or with other this happens with all friends too like you'll just be talking and like literally cannot stay off their phone i'm like yo i'm having a we're having a conversation and you're like staring at your phone right now like for real like but it's 
it's so addictive, especially like the TikTok. And I try to distance myself, but even then, I still get like, you know, you wake up, whatever, and or you, you just get caught and you're like, holy shit, I was just staring at my phone for like 25 minutes and I didn't even know. Or like, I'll be going to take a shower and like, I'll be like looking at my phone before I get in a shower. I'm like, what the fuck? Let me just take a goddamn shower. But I don't know. Yeah, it just it is scary. Like I think of like, damn, how am I going to be when I'm old? Like, like 80 or if I make it to 80, like just old as shit. Like, am I just going to be staring at a phone then? Or like, I'm sure there's going to be something way crazier, but. I, see, that's a really interesting point you bring up because to me. Because like, that's what kind of we all do now. Or not like, obviously we do other stuff too, but like. Whatever, you look at your screen time on your phone and say you're three, three hours, four hours, five hours, whatever it is. What's it's gonna, what is it going to be? What's my screen time going to look like when I'm 80 or like in my 60s? Because to me, I, I think that if you hold on to the notion of being self-aware of that, of your relationship with this sort of a technological appendage, then that then you won't be consumed by it entirely. Um, and that, yeah, that gets me Yeah, but we're also the hope. last... We're also, like... We saw what it was like before iPhones and stuff. Like, the first two-thirds of our lives or whatever, our first halves of our lives were basically no uh, iPhones, social media, whatever, all that. And then people born into that now, I think, like, it just seems like it's going to just get worse and worse and worse till we just have like cyborg babies yeah like it's it's no longer an appendage it's 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 like a core aspect it's like an organ yeah. in a way yeah, and back to the oh sorry no you go no you're you're no, talking you about go. cyborg babies that totally reminds me of watching um david cronenberg's new movie that i've seen a while back called um Crimes of the Future. <laughs> crimes of the Future. Yeah, yeah, crimes, yeah, Crimes of the Future. Yeah, I really liked that movie a lot because it really talked about, um, like, it really begged the question of like, if you can get, like, plastic surgery is like a normalized thing in society. You don't have to pay a doctor to do that for you. You can do it out in the streets. It's like doing drugs or something. And so they begged the question of like, okay, so what if you had a child and that child ha and had inherited something that you did to yourself through plastic surgery or cosmetic surgery or whichever. And I thought that was such a clever look at like where we're headed in society. And I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really like, I'm against that kind of stuff. So it was really interesting to kind of have my perspective on that provoked by um, Cronenberg because yeah I thought he did a really good movie and Viggo Mortensen and Kristen Stewart had like this really twitchy quiet like seductive performance it was kind of it was kind of weird I was like huh she's doing a Robert Pattinson kind of thing in, in Crimes of the Future which is what I felt like she was doing so side tangent on Cronenberg <laughs> I still have yet to see a Cronenberg film you should see a Cronenberg movie. It's pretty... Uh, he's he's a good director, for sure. You know, I think I... Uh, what was it? There was, was it The Brood, which is about two sisters? I think that I sat down to watch that movie, but for some reason or another, it didn't... I didn't, like, finish it or anything. But, I don't know. Ugh. He's an acquired taste. Definitely, like, the auteur of, like, body horror. Um, the Thing, probably the most iconic thing he's ever 
Wait, did no? That's John Carpenter. Fuck. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> the fly? I'm, I'm sorry, Cronenberg. Yeah, he did the fly, <laughs> but like um, in terms of like body horror, yeah, it's. I mean, I don't know. I like John Carpenter's the thing though. I think that's like probably the best body horror movie out there. So, have you ever seen the fly? Um, no, not the fly. Um, the thing. No. With Kurt Russell, it's such Ooh. a it's such a oh, bad. It is a vibe. It, it is, is a vibe. Tyler, I, think I, I feel was just like playing would... at like one of the theaters over it here. It makes a really good like. Go see it. it makes a really good COVID movie. I feel like you would love. I love me some Kurt movie. Russell. Kurt Russell is great in Gold this Bloom? movie. For Goldblum was in movie? the fly. The fly. Yeah, yeah. I mm-hmm. love me some Goldblum too. Yeah, I feel He's... like you can't go wrong with either then, right? Yeah. We should watch it. Yeah, because it, it's like this. On, make that the live sesh pod. Maybe. It's like the spin on like the horror genre. Like the horror genre is so vast that like you can do so much with it. The thing is kind of like this mystery murder mystery action movie, and The Fly is kind of like this descent into madness. This guy has this massive ego who is willing to like I don't know show off in front of everybody, and it kind of just yeah it it backfires on him and. And and then you have it in the form of Jeff Goldblum, who's super charismatic and super funny, and yeah, he's some people's like sex icon, <laughs> being the sexy fly or something. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he's a silver fox for sure. Yeah, definitely. So I have a question for you all. Do you think Nathan was a Nathan Fielder? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've actually watched uh, his his newest show, The Rehearsal. Yeah, I did too. It was pretty I good. I love Nathan. Fielder. Again, we are talking about manipulating reality. It's it's hyper reality. It is. I think that Nathan Fielder's work is literally the pinnacle of reality television. It is the closest thing that one could get to it by manipulating it into the you know in the creation of it. And then the end result ends up being so much more humanizing than anything that you see on normalized television. However, <laughs> going back to my to my question, uh, do you how do you all feel about the character of Nathan in this film? Do you uh, yeah? What's your take on him? See, this is what I was saying. I don't know now. Like, I don't know. I feel like I gotta hear you guys talk about him first. But I feel like he was kind of a dick to start, but I don't think he was a dick, actually. I think he was actually, like... I think he was just trying to play the game. I think they all were trying to play the game, but I think he still had some, uh, like, pure pureness to him and actual, like, genuine, genuine qualities about him rather than just being, like, a cutthroat pursuit to the top. You know, he was actually in it for... The art, it seemed like he cared about his book. And he, I, I think he generally cared for Lucian, but I don't know. You know, I think you brought up a good point because I, I did always want to hear out like their actual perspective on what he wrote about. And when they started making these fake proclamations about, um, what it it was about like I was like you know what I felt kind of bad because I was like you know Nathan didn't really cross anybody really like that at first and um when you do get like a real reading of his book um Lucian felt bad um when he did have to write about his book and I was like you know what Okay, 
This guy wasn't that bad. Yeah. He did also offer when he first meets Lucian. He's like, hey, you want me to show you some publishers, yeah. introduce you to some people? He was his first contact, Super really. genuine, and Lucian just, like, just concentrated on uh, Louise or whatever. He's like, excuse me. So you're right, I think Lucian is friend. an asshole. Like, I, I feel for him a little bit, but I know that if that was me in that situation, I wouldn't have gone that far. I like the, uh, I think he's, uh, I think him and Lucian are very similar, but then I fall back to, uh, I feel like he's, uh, the, the, nat- the natural artist, the natural gifted, uh, creator, artistic pursuiter, whatever it is, and I feel like, uh, that's what Lucian wants to be, deep down, that's why he writes poetry for Luis. And I think he's uh, a well-meaning character, but also, like you said, he's fully aware of the game. He uh, just skirts by Lucian's rise and downfall. Essentially, as like a third-party character. He's not really putting his neck out any point where it's not something that he can recover from if it goes to the worst. Like he offers to, he offers to like shop uh, Lucian's book around and all that, and then his friend is like, "No, he's actually gonna steal from it, or he's gonna do whatever with it. You'll never see it again." And it's kind of like, oh, maybe maybe it did, that is true. Maybe he'd read over and see if it's worth stealing anything. Or maybe he would maybe he would look to see if it's worth stealing anything and then still give it to someone else and say, do you want to publish this? Or maybe, yeah, it's just been, you can't really say for sure. And even then, if he's going to get caught either way, it doesn't. you can brush that off. He's already successful. Well, you kind of gave Lucian a pass about the affair and all. Like, he kind of stuck his neck out there for him. And, and gave him that... Um, you know, like trying to send a message from Luis about how she feels, and he was telling him how he, like, he knows about like their relationship and that passion and that fire, and um, maybe he was intrigued by that and he wanted to tell a story. Yeah, exactly. About that. What two characters ran down to a, uh, uh, is it Corley's? Corley's collapse after her failed premiere. It's uh, Luis and Nathan. I think Lucien's being detained for trying to beat up that old man. Oh, and Louise and Nathan are the only ones. That... Yeah, they run backstage to check on her as she's collapsed yeah. from the uh, tro- from the the panic and fear, or whatever it is that I'm being you know <laughs> booed and shut down. So fun. And, and the Marquise, the Marquise, the the head figure, like pretty much spinning the entire web. Her name was uh, Marquise Despau. Oh, her cousin. Yeah, her cousin. Yes. She went back there. The, the one with the peacocks? The obsession with the birds? Yeah, when... When, when I... When Corley collapses. Yeah, like that's only Nathan Lewis, I want to say. Oh. And, like, the other actors in the but play. But she was there. Mm-hmm. She was definitely there. But she was there the one who was, the, like, instrumental. Oh, she the, yeah, she was at the premiere. In the downfall of it yeah. all. Yeah. For sure. She was cold. So shitty. That's just, like, sparked, like, her whole illness, too. It's like... The you biggest play of her career. Oh yeah, it's, it's a bit of a like. Oh, Gives when, a great performance. Yeah, and then everyone loves and it. Then, but everyone's already paid off to say they hate it, even though she's like elevating to true mm. art. Yeah, and what you alluded to earlier about I forget her friend's name. I forget her friend's name. Totally care. flat, <laughs> like terrible. Like you know, the, I mean, it's been she mentioned. smirks when she collapses. Her friend. <laughs> it's been mentioned before, but I I feel like there's so much great use of foreshadowing, 
in in basically not treating the like to me I felt like the direction of this as well as the writing was basically doing a, a service to the audience by keeping them in the know of where the plot was going it um, especially in terms of showing them what would happen in between characters like with certain dynamics for instance with Coralie and her like one of her original conversations with Lucian she said oh like you're way too good looking for me like you're gonna end up hurting me so much and even with like the use of all the plays uh, with Titus Andronicus uh, showing like the downfall of this um, of this very uh, renowned woman who is sort of tricked in a way by this other alluring, alluring person uh, in relation to a lot of their own uh, ambition, you know, for power. Uh, there's there's so many like great use of parallels and like you know points of uh, basically telling you know for me I was I felt like I was being told oh if you like this movie you would probably like Titus Andronicus and like all these other plays that are aforementioned um, uh, I really enjoyed a lot of these recurring like archetypes and motifs because it it solidifies like the timeless tale of 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 hubris in the sense that once you lose touch with your original intention and motivation for pursuing something with like the utmost authenticity you end up giving into distortion and and you let you let the static overtake your head in a, in a strange way and it just made me it just made me empathize so much with a lot of the characters that were on screen um, and especially when it comes to a lot of the uh, the women in this story how they they sort of uh, you know it, it was framed in a way with Coralie with her benefactor of this this elderly husband and there's like a brilliant moment between him uh, and Lucian where uh, the the husband is basically saying, oh, I never want her to go for, for lack of want or something like that, where he, he basically wants her to live a comfortable life, whereas Lucian has this, this cool arrogance to him, you know, hot off of, like, one article that he wrote saying, like, oh, no, she'll never, she'll never have to go without want for the rest of her life. And it's, it's just, like, this arrogance that, uh should always be put at the forefront when it comes to pursuit. It's, it's, it's very important to recognize that arrogance can be brought up in any of us. And to me, one of my, my shadow complexes that I deal with a lot is recognizing arrogance in others because I have a deep-seated seated fear of being arrogant myself. And I, I, I've sort of like, I try to own that as best as I can because it makes me, it puts my ego in check of, of recognizing that at any given point in time, I can become what I fear most, which is an arrogant human being. Um, but that's not to say that, you know, arrogance is sort of like a, it's an offshoot of confidence, of, of pride in a way. And it's, it's good to have that, but you must be in balance with it. It's, it's kind of in relation to um, 
this one book that I that I read before. It's called A King, Warrior, Magician, and Lover. I could be getting the words mixed up, but it's something similar to that. But it talks about these four archetypes in masculinity where, um, you know, for instance with the king, it's it's viewed in like this triangle aspect of the king being like the, the top point of the triangle and the tyrant being the far right. And then also like this, um, this, uh, sort of a weak individual on the left and it's like the tyrant and the weak individual are kind of like one and the same because they're out of balance with this utmost peak of being like a king image or something like that and it doesn't just have to apply to masculinity it can apply to like any point of like uh individuality but it's it's always i feel like it's just always important to walk this very fine line of vigilance you know, because it's so easy to fall off. Do you think walking that fine line was what Nathan was trying to guide Lucien to be doing? Yes, I and and that's why I personally view Nathan as being Lucien's saving grace. I don't view him as being a malevolent force in Nathan's life, um, even in spite of what he was told by his mentor in at the uh at, at the corsair um because i view that mentor as being sort of like lost along the way you know like he's sort of like been being given the what is it the chief editor or the editor-in-chief of the of the paper at sort of like the end game and he was saying oh you know i i almost gave in to nathan's you know words you know myself but and it's it's so strange because he even talks about how he was hoping to write a play and that the people in his village said that it was going to be the next great thing but then he became overcame or overcome with pride and like all these pleasures that were given to him in Paris um it's sort of like the meat grinder in a way yeah he remember um the publisher he's like you'd sell your soul for free <laughs> to Lusto exactly right and that's why I view like Nathan as you know as like other, uh, as like uh, you all have brought up Nathan's just playing the game it's it's sort of like what we're faced with like for instance if if any of us wanted to pursue like filmmaking or something like that uh, we would have to you know the first thing that anyone usually says is oh you have to go to Los Angeles right that's that's where all the filmmaking's done but then, you know, I've known, like, several people who have gone there and just had their, like, entire passion crushed. And then they come back here, and then they're doing something entirely different. It's wild how easy that happens. You know, just, just whether it's an environment that big or if it's, like, a small event that, like, changes your perception of that stuff. It's, it's so scary how quickly it can fall by the wayside. And I also think, much like in Paris in the 1800s, it probably depends a lot more on your status if you're going there to pursue that stuff than immediate talent or maybe the apex of your talent, which you can't reach unless you have the luxury of time to invest in it. And then, yeah, so what do you guys think about the very end? The Solaris-esque return to nature. I liked it. He walks to the lake. He, yeah. But naked, he's like, 
He didn't know what did they say? He didn't know if he wanted to die or be reborn. Yeah. And then I well, like this I like the subtle like come back to that to the line that Lucian he's like he even said, um God, what is the line? Something about hope and and living or something like that. Oh yes, uh ah, damn. It was like the death of hope and that from that point onward he would live. Yeah. For those who have lost is it hope or illusion? It's hope or illusions who find the strength to continue on, or something like that along those lines. Well, I didn't really take that moment as like anything authentic or true. It's just Nathan telling his side of how he felt like things should have ended, and we don't really truly know how Lucian ended up I love at the too. end. Yeah, yeah I love that very, too. Yeah, you're very right That's, about yeah. that. It's a whole projection for artistry. Because yeah. Lucian just leaves Nathan there, and then Nathan's like, oh, this is the... I told you the story of Lucian, and then we see an added scene after Lucian left forever, assumingly. It's like, did that really happen? Is this a yeah, artifice? Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, is it all artificial? I'd like to think it happened. I want to think it happened. <laughs> I, I personally am a huge sucker for, like, these sorts of endings, like, especially, like, with Solaris, where it's... You can't tell what's real versus what is fabricated... And just seeing, you know, like what you were saying, Tyler, where he's like, he returns to the lake and he's like fully naked. He doesn't have any form of like protection, any form of um, uh, social constructs or anything. He's just completely stripped bare and he doesn't know whether he wants to continue living or if he wants to die there. And to me, like, I mean, Tarkovsky's like spoken about that a lot in terms of a... Uh, solitude and the importance of reconnecting with nature because it's like with living inside of such a dense urban uh, out or uh, atmosphere we tend to develop so much of the anxieties at large of like the fear of the other and with a return to nature it's like we're given a chance to face these phobias to face these fears and anxieties in order to reconnect with with this like internal rhythm that has always been present. It's like the tree that you visited in the park the other day, that's still there. Any hour of the day, you know, rain or shine, windy, storms, fires, anything like that, it's going to be there. And if it ends up getting destroyed, its remnants will be there. It's like whether or not you continue moving on with your day or anything, it's, it's, Important. It's a it's a reminder of mortality in a way, you know. Yeah, I love the ending. I like that too. The mortality part, like he's just, it's just yeah. I look at it as like a rebirth, a, a third baptism, if you will. Yes. Ah. So assuming he got one as as a Catholic, or I think they're Catholic in France, maybe Christian, and then the second as a journalist, and then the third we're on the precipice of. Maybe that's what everybody needs, you know? Mm-hmm. You gotta get then again, you gotta to get pushed through the gauntlet, the shitter, and then thrown out on the other side. And again, the Richie's... <laughs> I'm pretty shitty. Yeah. And again, the Richie's point, maybe that's all... Maybe there is no third. Maybe it's just Nathan adding that for us. Yeah, it's the, for it's himself. The, it's the poet's answer, like with a portrait of a lady on fire. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no matter which way you go, there's like an answer for anyone, really. Yeah, it's like Inception. <laughs> so deep. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> hey, this one, 
what is it? I don't need to know if the top stops spinning. I'm happy <laughs> wherever it is. Yeah. I'm such a like, god damn it. Unfortunately, he didn't roll the die or anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I feel like this movie, like I've said it like earlier, where probably before the podcast, but I feel like this movie would make an excellent double feature with Showgirls. Because it's, you have like this person, this outside factor who's like sort of this, this prodigy who, you know, they're going to the, into this profession where it just comes so naturally to them, where, I don't know, they just get put through the ringer and then it's like, what happens afterward? It's yeah. like, how do you react to it? It's like the reaction is what it's made for in a way. It's like that's where all the meaning is derived from is from how that person reacts to these set of like circumstances. I need to see that still. It might be my pick. It might yeah. be. I'm not certain though. I mean, I already showed Showgirls. It's through uh, that one movie, Simon Killer. I mean, come on, guys. That <laughs> honestly, beat you to it. <laughs> honestly, I feel like Simon Killer has been. It's been the sleeper the sleeper, the sleeper hit. in the back of your it's mind. Been, yeah, it's been the sleeper <laughs> hit for me. From all the films that we've done, I've come around to that movie. Like, I fucking get that movie. I, uh, I can see Simon Killer getting the Showgirls thing in 10, ten years. Mm-hmm. People rediscover it. It was, like, way ahead of its time. That dance scene, though, always gets me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where it's just the static camera, and they, they're just dancing, like, in the moment. Oops. Uh, is there any closing thoughts? Or is that a wrap? We should have a clack. We should have a. No, I'm done. <laughs> we should have one of those things you would clap. Like at the start of cuts? Clank! Takes, yeah. <laughs> we could cheers. You sure? So? Yeah, we can cheers. For my glass. I actually need to get myself a quick Yeah, I was unconscious the whole time doing this podcast, so I won't remember anything. I'm so knocked out from this Jameson. <laughs> it's been a long time since we've gotten together like this. And each time we do this, it, it reminds me of, like, why I love hanging out with you all so much. Just talking about this stuff. Oh, yeah. I got a little left. Pat, you always have incredible picks. Yes, he does. Actually, let me let me rephrase that. See, I'm still catching up the Tyler. You all have incredible picks. Yes. It's so... I don't know. I like watching movies with you all. And if any of the listeners out there are still, you know, with us, uh, I don't know. I'm just glad that you can join in with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just glad you guys watched a three and a half hour cut that I recommended a long time ago <laughs> and that'll probably be the longest movie I'll ever recommend we should do we need to do the watch party again we should yeah. oh, yeah. the last time we did that was with Top Secret right oh wait with us in person yeah I was talking about like the um, oh like through Discord, through Discord right yeah mm-hmm. sure, we should just have a freaking watch party though and be like whoever wants to pull up pull up that was with Buffalo in, like, 66 the mm, last time, right? I, was, I yeah. watched this wicked-ass horror movie called The Sadness that came out on Shudder. And it was, like, done by a Canadian filmmaker, and he filmed it in Thailand. This movie is crazy. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, like, the 
It's like a pandemic movie. It's supposed to be like COVID nineteen, like pandemic zombie film. The pink cloud. Oh, <laughs> yeah, except, except Tyler coming. Except in there hot. are people that are infected, <laughs> and when they're chasing you, they tell you like the grossest, nastiest like things. So, like you know how zombies are infected, and you can no longer speak, and they're mute or whatever. No, these people will tell you what they want to do to you. And it's like actually like really explicit stuff. It's like the sadness. It's like the gnarliest horror movie that came out this yeah, year. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not watching that. Isn't that the power nope. of horror though? It's like exposing like people's deep seated fears mm-hmm. and against the background. Oh yeah, of these society, people feel right? bad when they do bad stuff to you. They'll cry. That's why it's called the sadness. But oh. they'll be like, "All right, well, I'm gonna do the worst thing possible to you right now. I'm gonna torture the heck out of you." Oh. <laughs> Good movie, I liked it. Yeah, I think maybe maybe it's up to your alley, Patrick. Maybe yeah, I think yeah. I've seen I've seen some messed up stuff. Seen <laughs> <laughs> some fucked up shit. We're gonna, we're gonna do a seamless blend after dark. Is one? Wait, we wait, wait, should yeah. we close out this one? Oh shit! Yeah, you're right. Uh, if you're still here and you heard that teaser of our after dark episode, uh, hopefully you'll check that out too. And if you have any feedback. Uh, film suggestions, anything you want to argue about, especially with me. I'd love to receive it. Pull up. Yes. Uh, Patrick likes to receive. He said that. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to message us on LeFilm. Uh, podcast? LeFilmPodcast at gmail.com. And then our Instagram. You can even shoot a direct message over. We'll, we'll, if you slide into the DMs, we'll read them. Just maybe attach a name. Of who you want to be the recipient, who you want to read it, in case there's spoilers, or, you know, you want the right person to see it. I'd love to engage with anyone. I'm a lonely person who has few entertainments, so I'll be I'll be on. <laughs> and our, our lay film handle on Instagram is at layfilmpodcast. Right. For anyone interested. At layfilmpodcast. Thank you, Kevin. And, uh, alright, let's go ahead and close this one off and get right into the after dark. Later, you. Peace out. See ya. Ce lac, il le connaissait depuis son enfance. En rentrant dans l'eau glacée, il ne savait pas s'il voulait se purifier ou mourir. Il resta là un moment. Il allait cesser d'espérer et commencer à vivre.